0: We're going to read the Bible together now. So we're going to read the first, uh, I'm pretty sure it's seven verses of Romans. So if you would like to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, if not, the passage is on the screen. Let's read. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why so this is also why you pay taxes, for your authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour.
1: Thanks, Ryan. We're going um, to look at that whole passage. So if you're kind of wondering what went on then, that's what went on. I'm just going to grab this music stand. Cool. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm Ben, if we haven't met before, and it's going to be a joy to go through this passage, but before we do, let's pray, and then we'll, um, we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we get this moment right now. Father, we pray that whatever's been going on for us, Lord, that we would be able to come and be present here, that we'd be able to let go of our distractions, our worries, our fears, what's What's happening around us, what's happening within us. And we pray that we'd be able to hear your word. Father, we pray that as you speak, that you would transform us and change us so that we may be different people than the ones who walked in this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So people who claim to be Christians have been in the news a fair bit this week. I don't know if you've saw, seen it, but there's been a fair bit of news about this kind of stuff. People who say they are Christians and they, then they act badly. So the first one that I saw this week was by this guy, uh, his name's Carl Lentz. He was a pastor in America from Hillsong and about 12 months ago he got kicked out of his church for cheating on his wife. And then this week there are more allegations of bullying and sexual abuse. On top of that there was this school from Canada... I don't know if you heard this news, but there was the news that they found 215 bodies of First Nation children in Canada. They would come to this school and try to assimilate them into Canadian society, and this school was a Christian school who tried to convert them to Christianity along the way. Or on top of that, there was this guy, Uh, if you remember him from the Trump riots earlier in the year when they stormed the Capitol building, he was seen praying in the Capitol building, he was seen famously saying that God was on his side. This week, his lawyer, his actual defense was that he was brainwashed into a cult. If you think, okay, this is just overseas, America, Canada, well, then we saw, of course, the stuff that happened in Melbourne this week in the last couple of weeks with their lockdown. There was the news. I couldn't get a good photo of this guy, but there was the news of the pastor down there who had a church of about 50 who said on the Saturday night as they went into lockdown, we're going to keep meeting tomorrow. Of course, they didn't. Uh, He got arrested for that. And he came out and he said that COVID is no worse than the common cold. Now, you kind of look at all of this stuff, And you are reminded over and over again, and it's not just limited to this, is it? You are reminded that how Christians or people who call themselves Christians, how they act in public really matters, right? There is a perception that is given to everyone because of how these people have acted, and you don't have to go searching for more stories like this. And so after a week like this, it's worth asking this question, is this the way it's meant to be? Or more than that, how are Christians or people who claim to be Christians, how are they supposed to act when they go out in public? You know, not just in church on a Sunday morning, but how are they supposed to act and behave as they leave the church building each week? Well, as we get into Romans 13, we're going to see the answer to that question. And it's going to be good for us, whether you're here today and you call yourself a Christian or you're kind of on this journey figuring out what it's all going to be like. It's going to be interesting to see this. And there's something else interesting here as well. See, if you've been with us in the journey of Romans so far, we've kind of seen, so if you remember, 11 chapters of it were all the Father has done to bring people home. You know, we pretty much spent the whole year looking at that, about what the Father has done, his love for rebels through Jesus to bring them home into the family. Chapter 12 happened, and we saw that it's kind of like the Father sitting around the table almost, kind of going, okay, what what are we going to act like inside of the home? You know, we've had that for the last three weeks. You get this interaction. What's it going to be like life in the home? Now, though, as we get to chapter 13 of Romans, it really is, okay, how do you leave when you leave the home? How do you behave? How do you act when you kind of head outside the building? So that's what we're going to see as we get into Romans 13. And we see today there's three things that God's people are called to, uh, as we leave the home, as we head out into the world, and we see the first from verse 1, and it's that we're to submit to our leadership. Okay, we see that, verse 1. says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also a matter of conscience. And then in verse 6 and 7, he spells out what that looks like. So how are God's people supposed to behave outside of the home? Well, the first thing that we see here is they are called to submit to their leaders. And we are talking about governmental leaders here. So politics. Right? I know. Politics. Ugh. Like, that's not something you want to talk about, right? Like, if you go to parties, that's kind of something you avoid at parties because either you have people who kind of care too little about politics or too much. And there's always one in the group that just keeps on going on about politics. So we generally kind of avoid it all together, but here in this passage is one of the places in the Bible that God speaks about it. So this morning, if you care too little, this is an invitation to care a little bit more. And if you care too much, breathe. Breathe. We're going to see what God says about this. Because he's talking about politics. And he speaks about submitting to our leadership, and he says submit to your leadership. And why do we do that? Well, it's based on a principle, and the principle is God has placed them there. Right, So you see that in verse 1, he says it twice, repeats the same line, God established those leaders. Then you see in verse 4 and 6, they are God's servants. He says it over and over again. Earlier on there, God has instituted these leaders. The reason we submit to them is because God has placed them there. It's so clear. Paul is ramming at home so that we don't miss this. God has put our political leaders in charge. And so what's our response? We submit to them. Simple. Is it? <laughs> it's not really that simple, is it? I mean, in Australia, particularly when we think about how we interact with leadership, Australia, the culture of us is that we don't like leaders in any sphere of life, let alone the political sphere of life. So then what we do is we go, well, I don't like my leaders, so how do we make this passage not true? And I think what we do is we go to the extremes, okay? And so we go, well, this passage can't be true because what about the extremes? You know, what if my leader was Hitler? Then this wouldn't be true. Or what if my leader's telling me to do evil, then it wouldn't be true. Or or saying, don't listen to what God says, then it wouldn't be true. So if it's not true in those spaces, then it's not true for us. Unfortunately, we can't make that step. So what does this mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean this doesn't mean to submit to our leaders it doesn't mean we must obey them at all costs it doesn't mean we must obey our leaders particularly at the cost of disobeying god okay the principle is god is the highest authority and the political leaders are under him so if our leaders are telling us to do something god has said not to do or to not do something god has said to do then we don't at all costs obey our leadership now we see this principle play out in the bible You know, a few different places in the book of Daniel, if you remember famously, Daniel in the lion's den, the reason he went to the lion's den was because the leadership said don't pray, but he said I have to pray. Or earlier on in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, the Hebrew midwives are called to kill babies and they don't do that. So you actually see this throughout the Bible play out in certain instances. We see this in history as well. You know, you think under the leadership of Hitler, someone like Corrie ten Boom, if you know her story, she hid Jews in her house. She disobeyed the political rule to obey God. Or even I saw this week there was was some Chinese pastors from an underground church who were arrested. So it doesn't mean that we must obey at all costs. Now, just a very quick side point. In a global pandemic... The reason that we didn't meet when our government said not to meet is because we were listening to our leaders when they said that this is going to be best for the health of your church and for the loving of your state. But if our leadership told us that we could never meet, then we would have to think about that. But we went online for a certain period of time, but if they said never meet, we'd have to kind of do something about that. Okay, so it doesn't mean you must obey at all costs. The other thing it doesn't mean is you must be happy with everything that they do. Now, we've got to be respectful, but we don't have to be happy with laws that discriminate the weak. In fact, we have a God who cares for the weak, and so we must, too, care for the weak. So we don't have to be happy with laws that don't care for our unborn children. We don't have to be happy with the laws that don't care for the 240 people on islands seeking asylum in Australia. We don't have to be happy with the systematic greed that makes the poor or the homeless struggle. We don't have to be happy with laws that make it harder for First Nation people here in Australia. We don't have to be happy with that. We have to respect them. We have to think about how we go about that, and it's hard. I don't know exactly what we do in that space. We don't have to be happy with these laws. Okay, so so it doesn't mean those things. So what does it mean? Well, I think you could sum up, submit to leadership in two ways, respect and honour. Firstly, respect. We are called to respect our leaders. We're called to respect them. And and how do we do that? Well, we pay our taxes because they're our leaders. Even if we didn't vote them in, they're our leaders. We give them revenue, respect, honour, all of these types of things. They're kind of summed up in this idea of respect. It means that our leaders are our leaders, now, this is particularly pointed to us if we don't like our leaders. And if you don't like your leaders, you kind of go, okay, do I really have to respect your leaders? But there's two things here that strike me about this. Firstly, Paul is writing originally to Rome. So think about the church under Roman rule. And if you know anything about history, we know that Roman, the Roman rulers weren't exactly the most beautiful, gracious leaders. In fact, a few years earlier from the book of Romans, a few years earlier from it being written, the Jews were kicked out of Rome. So it's not just you've got to pay a little bit more taxes. It's like we're taking your home and get out of our city. Now they're back, and Paul's saying, you know those leaders that you hate? Respect them. It's challenging. Or even Jesus. You think about Jesus. So Rome, and, and what about Jesus? He too respected his leaders. Remember he said, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. He even, at the point of his death, submitted to the rule of Pilate, he even had that line, remember where he said, you would have no authority if God had not given you it. So if it's good enough for Rome and it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. And we are called here, even if we don't like our leaders to submit, to respect our leaders. So who are they? Well, in 8 Mile Plains in our area, in the 2E electorate, we have Labour as our leadership and Peter Russo is our leader and we're called to respect him. In Queensland, it's Labour, it's Anastasia Palaszczuk, and we're called to respect her. In Australia, it's Liberal, it's Scott Morrison, and we're called to respect him and the people in charge and their teams and all of that sort of stuff. We are called first and foremost to submit, which means we've got to respect them. Even if we didn't vote them in, they are our leaders. But it also means honour. Now, again, in, in Australia, honour our leaders. I don't honour my leader. Right? We don't do that. So how do we honour our leaders? How do we do that? Well, I I think to honour our leaders, it begins with the fact that we've got to let go of this idea that one leader from one side of the party represents God and the other has come from the pits of hell. I think that's where it starts for us to honour our leaders. I mean we see it here. Whoever is put there, God has put there. Right? So we've got to let go of that idea. We've got to honour our leaders. We're called to honour our leaders. It means that it's not okay to constantly rip them apart. It's not okay to constantly bring them down. It's not okay to constantly act like we do a better job than them. It's not okay that when we we disagree, we disrespect. We dishonor them in doing so. No, we're called to honor our leaders. We're called to submit to our leaders, to respect them and to honor them. So let's ask this question, how are you going with your leaders? Inwardly, what are you thinking? What are your actions towards them? What do you say about your leaders? Do you submit to your leaders? Do you honor them? Do you respect them? How do you feel about our leadership this morning? The first way God calls us to act outside of the home is to submit to our leaders. As we keep going, if the first one is submit to our leaders, what's the second way that we're called to act? Well, the second way is to love our neighbors. Submit to our leadership and then love our neighbors. And we pick this up from verse 8. It says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The second way that we are called to act is to love our neighbor. Called to love the people around us. And if last week, if you remember the last week's passage, it was particularly pointed to the brothers and sisters, now it's a neighbor, which is literally your neighbor, but it's also anyone and everyone that you come in contact with. So I hope you can feel the weight of what we're called to here because it's pretty massive. We're called to owe nothing to anyone except to love them. Everyone we come in contact with, we are called to owe them the debt of love. Now, this is pretty different to how most people think about love, isn't it? Right? Like, most people don't think about, okay, I owe everyone I see love. It's different. See, we generally, most people have concentric circles of love. So we've got our closest, you know, family, friends. Then we've got people outside of that, colleagues, you know, whoever we work with, study with, go to school with. Further than that, strangers and then enemies, and each circle we love a little bit less until we hate them. <laughs> That's generally how we think about how we love. And when it comes to loving and how we treat the people around us, it's, it's generally this idea that if we, if we have to, we will. But if we don't have to, we're not going to do it. And if you don't love me back, I'm tapping out because I don't want to love in that way. That's generally how we feel about love. In fact, I got a picture of exactly what this looks like, a picture of this. So this week I was going for a walk and I started to notice, well, it wasn't really, I mean, this is probably the last 12 months really, but started to notice people's lawns. So bear with me, okay, because if you're the person in your house in charge of mowing your lawn, you know this experience because, well, you might. At the front of some of our houses, there's a bit of the lawn that goes just over the boundary. You know, if, if you are the person that mows your lawn, you know this. And every time you mow, there's always that question. Am I going to do their side? Now, this week, I went for a walk and began to see what I think that just captures this idea of how we treat other people. So here, here's the picture. There's two of them. You can see there, there is a very clear line in where the edging stops in both of them and where one person's lawn who mowed kind of stops, right? You can see that there. The one though, I couldn't find this the second time I went discreetly taking photos of people's lawns, but there was one where there's like, there was like 30 centimetres of this lawn that the neighbour has gotten up to and then they stopped, just to make it very clear. And I thought, man, it takes, it takes more work to not mow that. that it, like that's actually skillful to stop there and to make it and I also wondered what did they do to them (laughs) what kind of neighbors are that now I think this captures the picture of how we treat generally how we treat other people right like if we have to show love then we will we can get off the we can get off the lawns if we have to show love we will but if we don't then we're not going to and if you do something to me, then I'm not going to show you love. I'm not going to show you respect. I'm not going to care for you at all. If we have to, we will. But if we don't, we won't. Now, what we see here in this passage, the call is pretty different to that, isn't it? Because he says here, the only debt you have to people is the debt of love. So owe nothing to anyone. Like pay back your debts. But the only thing you owe them is love. And what is that love? Well, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does that look like? Well, if we think about it, this idea of love your neighbor as yourself, it's actually way more than just mow their lawn. It's way more than the smile or the wave on the street. It's way more than that. Because if we begin to consider, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? We actually have to think through this question. Well, what love do I want? Or, what love do I give myself? And when you begin to see this, it radically shapes what he's saying here. Right? So, think about this what love do you want? What love are you looking for in a friend or in a family? Or, if you think of someone who loves you, what is it that you like about them? So, here it is for me, right? When I think about the love that I want, I want, I want to be cared for, I want kindness, I want nice words to be said to me, I want empathy. I want people to connect with me and understand what I'm going through. I want those things. I want want actions. I want thoughts. I want want all of that when it comes to love. But see, here's what else I want when I'm thinking of people loving me. I want the benefit of the doubt. You know, that, that for me is where love kind of makes its home when people give me the benefit of the doubt. I want grace when I stuff up. I want forgiveness freely offered. I don't want bitterness. I don't want people holding my wrongs over, their, over my head for the next few years. I want all of that. Now, when you think about what it means for you to love or to receive love, I wonder what else you add to that. You know, maybe we want people to stick around. Maybe we want people to, cont- to get, just keep showing up. Maybe it's something else. But we all know what it means to love ourselves. We all know what love we're expecting. Now, the radical thing here is what God is calling us to is he's saying this is what you owe the people around you. That's crazy. This, when you see anyone and everyone, this is the type of love you owe them, the love that you want yourself. So again, let's... See how you're going with that. Let's ask some questions here. How are you going at owing people love? You know, as you came here to church this morning, like our neighbors here, let's think about our neighbors at church this morning. Did you rock up to church this morning thinking in your mind, I owe these people love? (laughs) Is that what you were thinking? Now, I know this is hard because for some of us, we've got people that are a little bit harder to love than others. Not all of us are easy to love. For some of us, there's been hurt over the years or over the last couple of weeks or few days. How are you going at owing love here at church? What about at home? Now, I'm not, not talking about abuse, right? So we can, we can put that to the side. But when we think about our families, for some of us, when we think about our siblings or the relationships that we have that we, of people that we are related to, for some of us, We've given up. For some of us, there's bitterness that runs deep. For some of us, we're not going to forgive. The idea of that is gross. But God calls us here to owe them love. So how are you going at loving your family? What about your actual neighbors in your street? Do you know that you owe them love? You don't just owe them to mow their lawn but you owe them the love that you want yourself? Some of us don't even wave to our neighbors. But we owe them this. We owe them love. That's what God calls us to here. What about the people we work with, the people we study with, the people at our schools or unis? What about those types of people? When we see them, do we know that we owe them love? What God is calling us to here is radical but he calls us to it. So number one, we submit to our leaders. Number two, we love our neighbors. Number three, what's the final one? Well, we watch ourselves. We watch ourselves. We see this from verse 11. He says, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The third way that we are called to act here is to watch ourselves. So we submit to our leaders, we love our neighbors, we watch ourselves. And the language here that he uses is to wake up. Wake up yourselves because the night is over the day is here he is calling us to watch ourselves and he uses the language here put off the desires of the flesh and put on jesus christ now i know that language is a little bit strange Well, what does that even mean to put on jesus well throughout romans and the bible more broadly than that there's this idea that when we trust to jesus or trust in jesus we belong to jesus We are united to Jesus. And what it means to be united to Jesus is this. We get his victory. He's he's died. He's been raised back to life. We've got victory in Jesus. We're connected to him. We're connected to the relationship that Jesus has. We belong to the Father. The Spirit is in us. We belong to the body, brothers and sisters. But it also means we've got a new set of actions, right? So we've got a new victory a new family, a new identity as well, and new actions. And so what he's speaking about here is this idea, if you've been united with Christ, if you've got the jersey on in some sense, pull on the jersey, make those new actions. Now what does it look like? Well, well Ross already introduced it today. So there's free reign now, but Ross is talking about the state of origin. So, so here's the picture. Right, like State of Origins this week, Queensland and New South Wales. And if you've been listening, even if you don't care about football, if you've been listening, Queensland and New South Wales, when they talk about their jersey, it's almost cultish. Right, like I don't know if you've heard, if you've heard the picture, it's almost like the jersey, pull the jersey, it means something. You know, it means something. What does it mean? Well, it means victory if they win. It means a new identity, a team. But it means new actions. Right, it does, because for some of these people who are going to play on Wednesday night, last year they didn't have a jersey. And what were they doing? They were sitting at home watching the footy. In lockdown, watching the footy. That's what they were doing last year. But now if they've got a jersey, it means something different. Their actions have to change and shift. And what does it mean for them? Well, they're going to run out on Wednesday night, and they're going to participate with what the jersey means. They're going to play the game. Now, again, you might not care about NRL. Or origin, but you get the picture a jersey means something a victory, an identity, a team, and new actions. And this is the idea with Jesus if we're going to trust in Him, it means something new. What does it mean? Well, He spells it out. So, verse 14, He says, Stop gratifying the desires of the flesh, and then 13, He spells it out there in verse 13. And basically, you could sum up verse 13 like this it's a lack of self control in three areas in sex in alcohol, and in social relationships. Okay, so with, with sex. It's this idea of lacking self-control. It's participating in anything outside of God's design in marriage. Right, so it's whatever happens on a screen. It's whatever happens in your mind when you're fantasizing about something. It's whatever happens with someone you know or someone you don't know. It's whatever happens outside of God's design in heterosexual marriage. That's what we're talking about here. And, and the call here is put off that. Stop participating in that because that's the old way of life. That's not the way of Jesus. Then, then he moves on to alcohol, a lack of self-control with alcohol. And he calls it drunkenness. Whether it was your plan or not, whether it's once a week or once a month or once a year, whether it's because you were, you were going out to party or because you just couldn't say no, he says this is the old way of life. This isn't the way of Jesus. And the call is stop getting drunk. Or then finally, with social relations, relationships, dissension and jealousy. And it's this idea of disunity. Disunity. You know, like if, if our relationships around us aren't unified, if there's stuff that we're not willing to push into and deal with, this is not the way of Jesus. It's the way of the flesh, it's the way of the world, because it's easier not to deal with stuff. And Jesus says, put it off. Put those things off. But but what do we do instead? He says, pull on Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus Christ. And, and what does that look like? Well, we've seen some of it. Submit to our leadership, love our neighbor. But we know what it looks like to to be like Jesus. Because pretty much any time in the Bible you see an action that's called of us, that is a call to be like Jesus. You know, to be loving, to be gentle, to be humble, to be kind, to show forgiveness. All of the stuff from chapter 12 onwards is all about living a life like Jesus. And we've got to watch ourselves in this. We've got to watch ourselves in this, because it's easier to gratify the desires of the flesh than live the life of Jesus. So the three things, submit to our leadership, love our neighbor, watch ourselves. But there's one final question. And the final question is, well, why do we do any of this? Like, why? Why Why do we submit to our leadership, particularly if we don't like them? Why do we love our neighbor when that's hard? Why do we watch ourselves when it's easier not to? Why do we do any of the stuff here that that we're called to in, in chapter 13? Well, there's four very quick reasons why we do this. Four quick reasons. Number one, based on point one, the first reason we do this is because God is the highest authority. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. And if God tells us to do something, then that in and of itself should be enough for us to do it. Right? Like this is not me saying this this morning because I want you to do this because I want to make your life more interesting. This is what God calls us to. The God of the universe. And so if he says it in and of itself, that should be enough. Number two, it's because of God's love for us. Based on point two, we saw this idea, love your neighbor, he says. And love is the fulfillment of the law. And so what he was kind of getting at there is this idea that the whole law, everything that God calls us to is just about loving people. And why do we love people? Well, we know in in Romans it's grounded in the fact that we are loved, God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 12 began, remember before we went into any application, it was in view of God's mercies, in view of his love. The reason we do this is not just because God is big and powerful, but because he loves us. And if he loves us, then this is a way that's going to be good for us. We'll flourish if we participate in this. So number one, God's authority. Number two, God's love. Number three, because Jesus' return is nearer today than it was yesterday, based on point three. Right now, some people will claim to know when Jesus will return. They don't know. Right? They don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus' return is closer today than it was yesterday. And if Jesus' return is closer today than it was yesterday, then we need to wake up to ourselves. We need to watch out. Watch ourselves. We need to stop living as if he's never coming back because today is closer than yesterday. His presence is near. And so the motivation for this is because God's the authority, because he loves us, but also because he's close. So number three, Jesus' return is closer today than yesterday. And then finally, number four, it's because the impact we have on our community says something. We have the ability to either help or hinder the message of Jesus. Now we know this. We know this, don't we? We know that when people do this or when they don't do this, it either helps or hinders the the message of Jesus, right? Like we know that from the beginning. We know that no one looks at any Christian who is a bully or is involved in sexual abuse. No one looks at that and says, hey, tell me more about Jesus. No one looks at schools that are selfishly abusive and trying to convert people, and if that doesn't happen, we're going to kill you. No one looks at that and says, man, I want to become a Christian. No one sees people who are anti-establishment, who aren't willing to listen to experts in the field, who aren't gracious enough to say that there are people that I know and I'm not going to rebel, I'm not going to storm into capital. No one sees all that and says, tell me more about this message you say you hold on to. We know that. When people don't participate in the way that God calls us to, it's disgusting. It makes the message of Jesus look gross. And it pushes people further away. But when people do this, when people submit to their leadership, love their neighbor, watch themselves act differently to the way of this world, there is something beautiful in this. There is something attractive about this. And there's something that makes people want to go, I want to know about this message. So for me, this kind of happened when I became a Christian. There was a moment for me when, when I became a Christian. It was a journey after I turned 18, but there was this moment where with the group of friends that I had, we all used to go out and get drunk. And then there was a moment where I kind of met Jesus. There was a journey in that process. I wasn't perfect at any point in that, but there was this moment where we, I would go to the parties and I wouldn't drink. And there was this one moment where one of my mates said to me, he was off his face (laughs) he said to me in that moment he said i want what you have when there's something when we participate in the way of jesus there is something beautiful about that and that's not a story of how good i am it's a story of how gracious god was to me and helping me in that but you see it we know this to be true if we're participating in the way of jesus It's beautiful. And if we don't, it hinders the message of Jesus. So God's the highest authority. That's why we do this. He loves us. That's why we do this. He's near. His return is close. That's why we do this. And we can't help or hinder the message of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace as we consider what this means for us. Lord, we thank you so much that, as we've reflected on so many different times in the book of Romans, that our position in the family is not grounded in us. It's grounded in what Jesus has done for us. It's grounded in the love that you have for us. But now as we begin to think about the difference that it makes in us and through us, we ask, Father, that you'd give us some help in this. We pray for those of us who are feeling the weight of our sin this morning, that we would find the joy in repentance and coming and laying that before you. And we pray that you give us the power to change. We pray for those of us who are feeling apathetic to this whole thing, who just don't care. We pray that you would fire us up and give us a renewed passion for this. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, as we live the way of Jesus in our world, we pray that it would have such an impact on our community that more and more people come to know you. God, we desperately need your help in this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.